Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, we're back to kick off another week of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you as always on a Monday episode of the show. We're going to be joined by our senior writer at The Athletic, Eric Dehachik, and uh, we're going to talk about the biggest stories around the National Hockey League here heading into training camp for all 32 teams. Jack Eichel reportedly heading to Buffalo to take his uh, pre-camp physical. We'll chat about that. Matthew Kachuk fanning the flames, pun intended, of uh, the Kachuk negotiations uh, in Ottawa. Zidane Chara's career comes full circle. He's back on the island. Artemi Panarin says thanks, but no thanks to being the captain of uh, the Rangers and a whole bunch of other stories that we'd love to get into. But as we kick this off, Haley, like I said, Eric Dehachik is going to join us. And right off the top, we've got Eric. And I think this is a really interesting conversation, Haley, because Eric just told us in the quote, we'll call it the green room, right? Like the, the prep room in Zoom that Eric, first of all, welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show. It's great to have you. Thank you. <laughs> Haley and I are blown away by the fact that you have had the same landline with the same number since 1987. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think that's probably is a function of my age, uh, uh, because, you know, back in the, like, I started covering hockey full-time in 1980 when the Flames moved from Atlanta. So this is, I think this is my 42nd full-time year covering the NHL, 44 full-time years in the industry, and I still consider myself a newspaperman, which is another one of those terms that has gone by the board. And if you factor in all of the freelance stuff I did as a student or whatever, it's, it's approaching half a century. So it's, it's getting a little bit, uh, uh, I've been around a long time, but no, I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've kept the same landline, uh, you know, professionally for the longest time, because a lot of the people that I've known a long time in the industry have it, but there's only one reason why I keep it now. And that's because of my mother, 
who is turning 90 in a couple of months. And, uh, and while she's quite robust, um, she has a difficult time typing in 10 digits, but she has my number memorized. And so other than the telemarketers who I can live without, um, the only person I really want to talk to on the landline anymore is my mom. And it doesn't cost me that much to keep it because almost no one has a landline anymore. So I'm, I'm hanging on to it. I'm hanging on to it. Yeah. See, when, when we were about to have you on, when Ian and I were in the green room, uh, for context for listeners, I said, you know what? I have called Eric on his cell phone before and he's told me, no, 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 call me on the landline. So I was very excited to see if you were going to dial in to the Zoom <laughs> call via landline or if you were going to zoom in. But he's here. We can we can see Eric and uh, no landline today. And um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have had a landline before. Just for the record. Okay. Yes, because that I know I like to call you old. I would never call Eric old. You, I'll call you old. Okay. Um, <laughs> and you like to make fun of my youth. So I've had a landline. I've, You know what? I've paid for a landline. I've never wow. actually had one. You know when you get the bundle with your internet and TV and they're like, get a home phone. It'll make it all cheaper. I'm like, sure. And I never actually get the actual phone. So I've kind well, of surely had your parents had a landline, Haley. Yes. <laughs> so yes. you have had a landline. I've had a even landline as a small child, yeah. <laughs> via my parents. And you know, Ian, I don't know, both of you, I don't know if you do this with your kids, but I remember being really young and you'd like practice to like answer the home phone because <laughs> your parents answer it a certain way or whatever, like Salvian residence, this is Haley. I don't know if, if your kids do that, but I remember like gassing myself up to answer the home phone. Gotta be professional. No? Salvian residence. This Salvian is Haley. Residence. It sounds like you're living in a mansion or something. <laughs> no, I don't hello. know. I was being polite. Polite little kid. What happened to me? I don't know. I'm making fun of my elders. Okay, here's what I want to know from both of you. I'll start with you. First of all, Haley, have you ever used a payphone in your life? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's too long of a pause there. I don't think you I'm have. thinking about it. No. I don't think you've used a a payphone. But more importantly, Eric, we used to file from payphones. Yeah, I mean so when, when yeah, when computers first started to come in. So I, when I started, you know, Calgary Alberta in 1978, I worked on a, an Underwood typewriter. It wasn't even an electric typewriter. It was if you if you saw the front page with with Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau and they had the fedoras and that was what the newsroom of the Calgary Alberta looked like in 1978. So I've gone through eight to 10 generations of, of computer technology. And I particularly remember the first year the Flames were in the Stanley Cup final in 1986, we were in St. Louis, a very, very loud barn. And in those days, you used an acoustic coupler and you had to take a telephone and connect it to these, these, these couplers. And if, if there was too much crowd noise, the, the crowd noise would interfere with the transmission. So sometimes you'd have to go to the concourse of an arena and, and call on a payphone and connect the acoustic couplers and file that way. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it, the, the things that we used to have to, the hoops we used to have to jump through to file at different times as the technologies evolved were really challenging. It was often more challenging than, than the actual gathering of the information and writing of the story. You know, trying to get it uh, down the line to your newspaper at the time could sometimes be a nightmare. I mean, I, we could spend the whole half hour talking about trying to file from Russia 
1987 when you had to book your landline phone call two days ahead of time to call your office because you couldn't just pick up your phone in your hotel and put a call through. You had to go through an operator and they scheduled calls. And a lot of times it would be if it was Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., they would slot you in at Thursday morning at 3.30 a.m. You have to get up in the middle of the night to make your call. Anyway, uh, that's probably more information that you need. But yeah, I have used a pay phone in my life. Oh, yeah. No, but see, we, I love those stories because I think it, I don't think we, as current, like in the current media landscape, I don't think we have enough of an appreciation of the red tape and the hoops that, that reporters had to jump through in, 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 you know, in the previous decade. So it's remarkable. Now, last question on this before we jump into what is, I think, a very newsy week in hockey. Eric, did you ever have to run to a payphone? Like with breaking news and like phone a newsroom and say like, oh my gosh, Wayne Gretzky got traded or like, did you ever have the run to a payphone moment for breaking news? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I mean, there have been, there were times early, early on in my career when I would have to go to a payphone and dictate a story. Um, and a lot of times what you would do is you would have your, you would have your notes from the, the game. I particularly remember, uh, doing this um, on a tour with the Canadian Olympic team in 1979, where you'd be in a press box without an actual phone. And so, you know, you'd, you'd be on deadline and you would, uh, uh, you would go to a payphone in the lobby of the, of the arena and you would have your notes and you would be making it up as you went along. So it was a version of what you're talking about, but, but it wasn't because it was breaking news. It was because you were doing your game story from the Canadian Olympic team versus the American Olympic team. And I remember particularly uh, Kathy Motherwell, who I worked with a long time at the Globe and Mail. Uh, she, was, she was fantastic because she was a terrific typist. So uh, if you got somebody that was a hunt and peck typist, and, and that sometimes happened too when you were calling in a story, you would lose your train of thought because they were typing so slowly. So I remember Kathy, you know, whenever I called in, it was like, is Kathy there? And she was. And, and then you could you know, make up your story as you go along. She typed the thing. You know, it, uh, I mean, the process of, of, of typesetting it and then putting it up on a stone and then printing the actual paper. Anyway, like I said, we could we could talk about that forever. But but no, not for breaking news. But I have had to dictate stories and, and you do have to kind of make them up as you go along, which which is challenging. You, you feel it in your head. But uh, but if you lose your train of thought, you're in trouble. Well, I'll tell you, for for the uh, the storytelling and journalism uh, nerds, I think they love that type of thing. I, I think next off season, next summer, Haley, we should have Eric come back, and all we do is, you know, in the in the off season, just tell some of these great stories because I, I think they're they're really fascinating. I think it's really it's really cool to uh, to hear those types of stories. Yeah, I think so too, and I think um, Eric touched on it a little bit in his last mailbag too, and we won't get into it now because then we'll just spend the whole podcast doing it. But I do think it is really interesting that you know Eric spoke about it in, in the mailbag just. I don't know how beat writers are beat writers anymore with the way that the league and teams and locker rooms have gone. You don't just get to go up and chat with, you know, Brady or Matthew Kachuk at the, you know, while you're waiting for your luggage, you've got to go through all these different PR and everything. The access is different. Um, the players might not yell at you as much, you know, as they probably would have back then if you wrote something crappy about them, but that relationship between reporter and player is different. And I think that's all just so interesting to get into, but we do have lots of hockey things to talk about today. Um, so, Ian, you can uh, you can go ahead first because I know we have a ton of stuff that we want to pick your brain about, Eric. 
yeah, and you know what? The the perfect segue right there, Haley. You mentioned Matthew Brady Kachuk. Uh, boy, uh, full credit to our, our colleagues Elliot Friedman and uh, and Jeff Merrick who got this information on the weekend, and that was Matthew Kachuk uh, speaking to them. Uh, at Sportsnet, all about Brady Kachuk's contract situation. And basically, Matthew says, look, they're not close. My brother's not close to signing a deal in Ottawa. And, uh, you know, we're trying to teach Brady to be a little bit more like us, like me and my dad. We held out, and we're trying to teach him to be a little bit more cutthroat. And, you know, he's learning how to be a Kachuk. And that certainly um, added some kerosene to the fire in Ottawa. And let, let's talk about this here for a second, Eric and, and Haley. Um, like, first of all, on any level, should some people be thinking, this is tampering. That guy with the Calgary Flames shouldn't be giving information about the contractual status of a player for another team in Ottawa. Or do we just look past it because, hey, players should be allowed to talk about other players? Well, I mean, it, how I guess it is different because he's putting his face and his name behind it and he's saying something very specific like that. But I don't know how that's any different than, you know, where we can assume some of these leaks from the front office are getting out to media, right? I, I mean, all Matthew's doing compared to whatever source some Ottawa media members have is just giving a little bit more information versus, yeah, it's close. Or, you know, eight-year deal. It's going to be – he was offered eight times eight. You know, somebody said that. Matthew Kachuk is just putting his face behind it and saying – no, it's not close at all. Everything that you're hearing right now is a lie. And I think he had a brash way of going about it. It was a very like, I don't care. I'm going to just like light a match and walk away kind of energy from Matthew, but it, which I think we've <laughs> grown to um, either appreciate or despise depending on, you know, who you are and, and what hockey team you cheer for. But um, I don't have a problem with him saying that. I know Sens fans are probably kind of upset to hear like, actually, no, it's not close at all. And we're going to make Brady be even harder about this. And we're going to make Brady, you know, tackle this like a Kachuk. Keith and Matthew both held out in contract negotiations. Um, or if you don't want to call it a holdout, just say you're negotiating long, whatever. Some people are, are particular about that definition, but I don't have a problem with it. I think it was probably, if you talk to Elliot or Jeff, that was probably the best little piece of, you know, conversation they had at the entire media day. And that's what Matthew Kachuk does. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought the fact that he was being honest about it, you know, you don't want to just keep stringing these Sens fans along and saying like, something's going to get done soon. It's probably going to be an eight year contract extension. So yeah, he was super brash about it, but I don't hate it. And I don't think it's tampering. It's his brother. It doesn't matter. It's family business for them, at least. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a few things to touch on there. First of all, I, I have no issue at all with an actual hockey player saying something that's actually interesting. Because, again, <laughs> you know, that you get so much bland hockey talk, you know, boilerplate speak that it drives me absolutely crazy. And so, you know, like the hardest thing – to do, I think, in the modern era to sort of filter through all of the crap that you have to listen to and actually get to something tangible and, and meaningful. So when when a player like Matthew Kachuk says something interesting, like, you know, even even some, even something like he, that he said, you know, average isn't fun. I'm, I'm reading his interview from the player media tour and that just leapt out at me. I, th those three words just say everything. Average isn't fun. Right. So he's talking about the plane specifically. So so there's that. I have no issue with that. Secondly, 
I think the hardest thing right now, and, and one of the reasons that it isn't just Brady Kachuk that's unsigned, but it's also you know, Kreisoff and, and uh, the two guys out in Vancouver, it's very difficult for players that have that elite pedigree coming out of those entry-level contracts into a landscape where, you know, the, the cap continues to be flat, where revenues have been, you know, so minimal for NHL teams for so long to find what the actual number is. So, you know, at least when Matthew Kachuk was negotiating his contract uh, with the Flames, it was like a, a normal world. Uh, you know, the Flames had a sold out building. Uh, the, the expectation was the cap would continue to rise. And so you're negotiating in a known landscape. And so now, you know, the players that, that find themselves unhappily in, in this situation right now are negotiating in an unknown landscape. And, and the team's are just digging in, you know, whereas in the past, you know, sometimes, you know, it would inevitably be the team that that, that caves because it's like, we just can't afford not to have Brady Kachuk. We we just can't afford not to have Kaprizov. We just can't afford not to have Quinn Hughes and, and Elias Pettersson under contract. Now they're saying, look, you know, the, the landscape, we don't know where it's going. And so, so, you know, how do we commit to, you know, to X number of dollars over X number of years without really anticipating what the future is going to be. I mean, to me, the solution is going to be, for the most part, if you're not sure, hedge. And, and you hedge by by signing bridge contracts. So, um, and the other thing that I would say is, uh, based on watching these negotiations over the years, even in a known landscape, is that nothing creates a resolution better than the approach of the regular season. Because eventually, you know, Brady Kachuk's DNA is going to surface and he's going to want to play it. It would be very difficult. It's it's easy enough to miss the start of training camp. It's easy enough to miss parts of the exhibition season. But when the season is about to begin, it the, the players that that like Kachuk that have that sort of I want to go, I want to go. Uh, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. I, I just remember something that Johnny Gaudreau said when when he was unsigned in 2016. You know, even he, he basically after the fact said, you know, I, I told my agent, I don't want to miss any game. So negotiate as hard as you want, you know, but at the end of the day, I want to be in the lineup when, when things get going. So, you know, I, I think that whilst things may seem insurmountable right now, um, I have a hard time believing that in what, what day is puck drop, October 12th, that by the time we get to that point, that some accommodation hasn't happened. It may not be the kind of long-term extension that probably fans in Ottawa want to see, uh, but but I, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that a month into the season that these players are still, you know, lingering on the outside looking in. I, I just, you know, that that hasn't happened very often in the past, and I don't think it's going to happen this fall either. And I think we saw what happened with William Nylander when he held out the way that he did. And, and I think it's kind of a cautionary tale for both sides because I think a lot of people saw that the Leafs waited, 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 waited just to essentially give William Nylander what he always wanted or at least in the ballpark of what William Nylander wanted. And then Nylander waited, waited, waited and had a pretty tough season because he missed camp and he missed – you know, the the amount of games I think he didn't sign until the end of October. was Is that right? I think he missed like... No, a, no Nylander signed like November, December, November, November like, 30th yeah. at right midnight. The deadline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah, right yeah. before December deadline. Yeah. I don't even know what a regular season calendar looks like anymore. I'm all messed <laughs> up. Um, and he didn't have a great year and it took him a long time to really get back into it. So I think that situation is kind of a cautionary tale for both sides. You know, hold out, but... 
if you're going to hold out and just give him essentially what he wanted and you're going to hold out and you're going to be, you know, pretty terrible for the first year. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I think, <laughs> I think Eric was a hundred percent bang on that. The, the real pressure point, it's not the opening of training camp. It's the opening of the regular season. And, and I looked into this, I wrote a piece last week because look, tensions run high in any hockey uh, mad market. When one of your favorite young stars is unsigned and training camp is on, on the horizon, people get nervous. And my point is, if you look at the last two years and you look at Braden Point and Matthew Kachuk and Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine and Matthew Barzell, and you look at some of these high-end RFAs, on average, folks, they have missed 11 days of training camp to get their deals done. So okay. go into it with that mentality. Remember, Johnny Goudreau, when he signed that, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 48 hours before the season opener, right? They were playing the Oilers and it was like, hey, let's get this done. So... The aberration is Willie Nylander. It's a cautionary tale, but it, it very, I think Jake Trouba is the only other guy of consequence in the last six, seven years who's actually missed regular season games. So I don't, I don't think that the opening of training camp should be the be, the be all and end all of, of getting these mm -hmm. guys signed. Um, but again, it's a fascinating situation. I want to flip the, flip the seat a bit here and ask you a question, Ian, and forgive me, Eric, that we brought you into chat, but I'm going to grill Ian now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a softball. I don't know. Do you see the relationship with fans and Brady changing the longer this holds out? Because he is a fan favorite. We've seen him floss. Uh, we see the way he plays on the ice. Everybody loves Brady Kachuk. Do you think that changes if he continues to wait? And if, you know, it, it's true that he turned down eight times eight and he doesn't want to lock in full time here and, and he wants to sign a bridge deal so he can you know, have more control over his future and see what the senators actually do in terms of their commitment to winning. I, I don't think, look, I, you're never going to get uh, a unanimous uh, opinion from a fan base, right? So you're always going to have the extreme. Some will love him. Some will hate him. I still think that given the exodus of star players from Ottawa in the last five years, that most of the leverage will still be in the Kachuk camp. And I know that, I think Matthew's comments probably made some Ottawa fans irate because they feel like, oh, this guy's just in it for the money. I'm always a believer of, as an athlete, you have a finite window to cash in. You don't have 30 years. You don't have 40 years. You have seven or eight years sometimes. So I'm a believer in, you go ahead, you make your money while you can. And not all fans believe that, but I think that because Ottawa has lost Stone and Carlson and Alfredson and Spezza and Heatley and however far back you want to draw the line, I think most fans will say, just get, listen, I'm going to side with Brady Kachuk on this one. And so the longer it goes on, I still think the pressure will be on uh, the team to get this done. But like Eric said, I think it's going to end up being a bridge deal. And I don't think um, you're going to see that that kind of eight-year eight year deal. But that's just me. And I and maybe I'm wrong. And, and hopefully I'm wrong for the sake of, of Ottawa fans. But I do want to ask Eric about what I think. Listen, as much as the Kachuk situation is interesting, I think what's about to happen in Buffalo – uh, is super interesting because the Associated Press, I believe, is the first to report this on the weekend. Jack Eichel's headed to Buffalo, Eric, and he's going to uh, take his physicals. And maybe this is just merely a you know uh, something that has to be done just to to uh, cement his status. Uh, but this is going to be an interesting week, isn't it, with Jack Eichel going back to Buffalo? I agree. And and what I would say is that yeah, contractually, he's a block. Uh obliged to, to report and show up for his physical. And, and I think the expectation is that he is going to fail that physical because of this, this neck injury that's been 
uh, lingering for a long period of time, although we don't know that. And so the, the whole Eichel thing to me is completely shrouded in, in mystery. And, and I think that uh, that it'll be like like any great uh, pot boiler. You know, you'll be getting like clues as you go along, but you, know, you have to wait till page 232 to, aha, that's how it turned it out. And, uh, but, but, but I think a lot of teams right now, there's a lot of teams that are interested in, in Jack Eichel, but the uncertainty over his health, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, there, there's so much misinformation about Eichel. The, the, the managers I talk to have no issue at all with, with Jack Eichel and his commitment to play and, and who he is and what his skill set is. I mean, there isn't anybody that I've ever talked to about Jack Eichel that doesn't love what he brings to the table. So the hockey side, they're fine with that. Um, the contract, not great, you know, 10 million per, per year, but but basically you're, al- you're almost halfway through that that deal. And if if numbers continue to escalate, it, it might not seem like that bad a deal in the end. But but if you are a team that has significant assets in order to surrender, you want more certainty. You just want more certainty. You don't you don't know. Like it, general managers get fired by trading for a player that has a medical issue and then it turns out he can't play or he can't play at the same level that he was at. So I just think that that the reason GMs are being cautious, that they're, they're normally cautious and conservative anyway, if you, if you want to generalize. But in this particular case, there's just so much uncertainty about his health that having medical records is one thing, but actually, you know, waiting for this thing to play itself out. Is he going to have the surgery? Is he not going to have the surgery? Is he, is he going to be playing in 10 games, 20 games, 40 games? They want to see him play. They want to see him play. So this is, a, to me, the first step, you know, find out where he's at medically. And then and then it could go, the, the path ver- divergence, right? I mean, you know, what if he passes his physical? You know, now, now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you know, member of, of the Sabres. And if, if you're not on the ice, you're in breach of your contract and, and a whole bunch of, you know, bad things can happen. So you're right. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I wish I had an answer for you, but I think we're all sitting on the sidelines right now waiting to get answers. And, and I think the first answer comes you know, a couple of days when he takes his medical. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall for the, you know, moment that Jack Eichel goes into the training room or the gym or he walks into that rink after everything that's happened over the last couple of months? After everything since, you know, those exit meetings and everything that's happened this summer, ooh, might be a little awkward. <laughs> it, it's an uncomfortable situation, but but the reality is, I mean, you're a professional, you have a contract, you're obliged to, you know, to meet the, the contract in, in a certain way. And, 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 and so, you know, that, the, you know, I just think, you know, like we, you could almost tie everything we've talked about so far together in, in, in a bow by saying that, that every athlete today understands that he's a, a little mini corporation. It's, it's Jack Eichel Inc. It's Brady Kachuk Inc. It's Carol Kaprizov Inc. So they they have they, they understand that you know that what they have is human capital and, and a talent that 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 NHL teams are willing to pay for. And they have to look after the main asset in Jack Eichel Inc, which is Jack Eichel, the, the physical person. And so so every decision that he's made or is is in the process of making has to do with preserving that physical asset. I mean, you know, there was a time 30 years ago, I, you just don't see it as often anymore, where, you know, where, where players would play, they always make the distinction between playing hurt and playing injured, you know, and, and people can play hurt because everybody's hurt a little bit, but you should never play injured. That was always the rule of thumb, but players did play injured because they would just ignore what their body was, was telling them and they play and play and play. And sometimes, 
it would be to their long-term detriment. So I think that the prevailing attitude in professional sport right now is, you know, don't play injured and take care of your body because as Ian referenced earlier in, in the conversation, you have a finite number of years to do this and you can only do it well when you're healthy. And so that that's really, when you distill everything down to one thing, he needs to get healthy. And once he gets healthy, then then lots of options uh, occur because because if if he's healthy and playing, the, the lineup outside the door of general manager Kevin Adams to bid for Jack Eichel will be very high. The teams want to they, they want to know, and you want to know, and probably you know Jack Eichel wants to know what uh, you know what what's next in terms of the physical state of his health. You know, and I thought you answered it really well in your uh, mailbag when somebody asked you like, do, do these players like Kirill Kaprizov or maybe Kachuk or Eichel? Do they risk alienating their teammates or their status in the locker room because of the contractual situation? I thought you you put it well when you said, "Listen, they're all in, everyone knows the deal, and they're professional athletes, and everyone knows you have to take care of yourself first because it's uh, you're treated like an asset, and quite frankly, um, there's nobody in the in, unless you hold out with a contract." I think that's the only time when 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 players might uh, uh, take offense to that. But when you don't have a contract, and you're holding out for something that you think is right, or you're not 100 percent healthy, and you're holding out. I think most I think most athletes have each other's um, have each other's backs. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to talk a little bit about Zdeno Chara Incorporated because <laughs> this, is a, this is an entity that just keeps going here, gang. And Here's what I want to know. Do you get the sense that, remember Yaramir Yager at the end of the, his career, Yaramir became like this, almost this like, this hockey mercenary. And he would just bounce around. He'd be like Dallas and Philly and Calgary and Florida. And like, you know, he just bounced around. And now you look at Zidane Chara, and, and when he left Boston, we were shocked and he went to Washington. Well, now he's going back to the mm-hmm. island. Is Eric, is, is, is Zidane Chara like the new Yaramir Yager? He's just going to bounce around on year to year deal and we're all just going to enjoy the ride as long as we can uh, as long as we can be on it. Sure, yeah, and I think you could add Joe Thornton's name to that uh, mix yeah. too because you know Joe went from San Jose where I didn't think he would ever go play a year in Toronto, had a lot of fun and now he's in Florida trying to win a championship. And uh, so no, I, I I mean I, I have a bias towards veteran players and you know it's probably because I've been at it a long time too. I I I've never 
you know, been one of those writers that that is is telling a player retire because you know your your current level doesn't reflect the greatness of 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 where you were previously in your career, and you're embarrassing yourself because there, that is a narrative that you you hear out there sometimes. Actually, you hear it quite a bit. And what I would say is that you know if you're Zdeno Chara or if you're Joe Thorne or Yager at the end and still have this brain fire to play, you should be allowed to. If someone is prepared to to pay you whatever that's usually the NHL minimum, like these guys aren't playing for the money anymore. They've all made as much money as they'll ever need. So what's their motivation? They either want to win a championship or they just still love the game so much that that they want to continue. And so I I think there's an awful lot of teams that understand the value of that. You know, when I look at, uh, you know, at, at the Islanders, I mean, you know, they're a team that, 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 just has a whole bunch of, of, of veteran guys that play and a coach that knows how to utilize them. And I think he's going to be an effective player for them. I look at, at Florida, a team that's trying to, to build a, a culture there that did a fabulous job of turning it around in one season under the new general manager there, Bill Zito. And, uh, and of course, Joel Quenville has been there a couple of years right now. And I think that they just understand that bringing Joe Thornton with his personality and his effusiveness and his love of the game that just that that rubs off on players you know when, when you look at Sam Bennett and you look at Sam Reinhardt you know two young guys that you know you know have built, both are looking for fresh starts in the, in Florida having someone like Bill Thornton there just to be around just to be around an hour before before practice starts and in in the in the way to, to see the example that he sets, that there's value to that, and so, so I'm 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 pleased that uh, that these guys are still in the league. I love watching them, and you know, eventually you'll get to the point where Yager did, where he just couldn't do it anymore, and 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 that was the end. But but the end hasn't come for either of these guys yet, and I'll be very interested in seeing how much they have left and what they contribute to their current team. Hey, Haley, I got I got to ask you, who do you think ends up playing longer, uh, Zdeno Chara? Or Tom Brady, because look, they were they were both <laughs> fixtures on the Boston sports scene for for so so long. They're the exa- pretty much they're the exact same age. Who plays longer in their respective sports, Zidane Chara or Tom Brady? It's so funny. I was talking to my my dad about this the other day um, because you know I think Tom Brady, like he's said or joked, maybe he's half serious. Like he wants to, this guy wants to play until he's fifty. He's forty four right now, and he's still looks really good. And it's funny to see other quarterbacks who are like 39 and you're like, oh man, like he is done. Like he is old. And then Tom Brady's like 44 years old and he looks, you know, very good. So I don't know. It's hard to like Tom Brady just feels like this ageless wonder and he's still the starting quarterback and he's still the guy wherever he plays. So I don't know. I feel like it's hard to bet against, uh, Tom Brady, but I guess what Chara has in his favor is that he doesn't always have to be the guy to keep playing. You know, he could just end up being like a third pair penalty killing defenseman go in there. I don't know. He can minimize his role, whereas Tom Brady is probably always going to want to be the starting QB. So it's a good question, but I I find it. You never bet against Tom Brady. I think a lot of people have lost a lot of money over the years doing that. So I'm going to say Tom Brady. Eric, who do you think plays longer, Big Z or, or Tom Brady? Yeah, Tom Brady. I mean, I, I'm you know I'm a big NFL fan. It's the only sport that I ever watch as a fan. I've never had to cover it, and so I I like to spend Sundays in front of the television set watching watching the NFL. And and I look at the way he's played the first two weeks. What is it? Nine nine touchdown passes. Yeah. 
two games. I mean, fantastic. The, the, the level that he is at still is phenomenal. It reminds he reminds me a little bit of Chris Chelios because Chelios was another player that was freakishly uh, talented on, on the physical side of things. He was just he was an amazing physical specimen. And, and Chris Chelios, you know, I mean, Joe Thornton isn't the player that he was. Chara isn't the player that he was. But Chris Chelios, it, it didn't fall off for him until un, until well into his forties. I mean, he was he was a dominant player. Uh, a really like top NHL defenseman in his early forties. In fact, you know, when, when, you know, when I hear Kenny Holland talking in, uh, in Edmonton about Mike Smith and, and his confidence in, uh, in having Mike Smith come in and play a major role at his age, he cites Chris Chelios as an example. If you are one of those freakishly athletic slash fit guys, you know, the age doesn't matter. I mean, it catches up with everybody eventually, but, but Smith had an excellent year last year. And I think they have a lot of confidence that he's going to be good again. And it's because, you know, once in a while, these guys come along that are just specimens and uh, they defy logic and age and everything else. And so it's just, it's just a pleasure watching them play. Eric Tehachik is just like us. He sits on the couch all day on Sundays. Nine hours now with the, with yeah. the Sunday night games. So I, I try to take a walk between the, the, the games just to get some exercise, but, uh, but uh, yeah, way too much time. That is a good couch shift. That is, I made the argument on Twitter yesterday that, and Ian and I talked about this last week, mountain time is the superior yeah. time zone for football watching. Absolutely. And people are like, no, it's Pacific time. It's Pacific. No, because mountain time, you get a little bit more of the morning to like, act like a real human being before you imprint your the shape of your body onto your couch for the rest of the day. It's the best. I didn't move yesterday and it was glorious. And that's my Sunday move every week. <laughs> back to hockey and <laughs> Yeah, back to hockey. Okay. I want to talk I think this is a really fascinating story because I think being a captain of an NHL team is one of the highest honors you can get. And I think you could you could probably even make the argument that being the captain of an original six team even carries an extra layer of, um, you know, of uniqueness and, 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 and uh, whatnot. And so I want to talk a little bit about some comments Artemi Panarin made on the weekend to um, an outlet called Hockey in the Know. And they he conducted this interview basically on social media with Hockey in the Know. And he was asked, Artemi Panarin was asked, would you like to be captain of the New York Rangers? So I'm just going to read a couple of quotes here uh, from Panarin. And then we're going, to, we're going to talk about the idea that somebody doesn't want to be the captain of an NHL team. Here's what Panarin was quoted as saying. Quote, I think we have more deserving candidates for that role right now. Would I want it? I'd rather say no, actually. It's not just putting a letter on the sweater and walking around and taking pictures. It's a lot of rough work in the locker room. And it's not about just playing good hockey. You also have to give your energy between periods, motivate guys, give interviews, being the face of the franchise. Overall, it's a lot of work off the ice. And I think I'm afraid I would not be an effective captain. I don't even speak English. How can I motivate? I can only influence with my own game and they will listen to me without any letters. So Eric, I'll start with you on this. Cause again, it's, it's rather jarring to hear a superstar player <laughs> Uh, would like to defer on the option of being the captain. What's your read into our Artemi Panarin basically saying thanks, but no thanks to wearing the C on uh, on Broadway? 
Well, I mean, I commend him uh, for, for saying that because he's clearly someone that knows himself and also understands that, uh, and a lot of people maybe don't understand this, that the role of a captain is a lot more than just, you know, collecting, you know, uh, you know, $100 from every player to, to tip the trainers, you know, monthly or something along those lines. It is a, a an important role on an NHL team. And I think you need a certain type of personality to do that role effectively. It, 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 it becomes a distraction. And so if you're someone like, like Panarin, where, you know, like what he does on the ice, I mean, if you look at his numbers over the last three years. I mean, there's there's seven players that have averaged more than 1.25 points per game over the last three years. He is one of those seven. He's been phenomenal. So why tamper with something that is working? Like he, he is so effective doing what he's doing in New York right now. And I think what he's saying is that, you know, if I were to change that and, and devote 20% of my energy being a captain and 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 assuming a leadership role that you know that I don't feel that I need you know because of laundry on on the sweater, uh, it, it could unduly and negatively Im- impact his performance. So I, I think it's 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 fantastic that that uh, that he is willing to to do that because you're it, it's easy to say oh you know it, it's so great to be the captain of a team and and uh, you know you, captains get a lot of plaudits and and respect and and. You know, knowing that they, ultimately what he's saying is this is the best solution for the New York Rangers, the team I'm employed for. And, and, and he's right. You know, there are players on that team that have been around longer. Like, you know, Jacob Trubu would be a real good example of someone that has been in the game for a long period of time, um, you know, that, that can say the, you know, the hard things that need to be said in the dressing room when things go off, off the rail. He's a, you know, a, a hard nose uh, young man, and uh, and someone else should should uh, shoulder that burden that has the personality that 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 can handle it, and uh, in the end, that will make the Rangers a better team. Well, you know, we've really appreciated the insight, and we've kept you for a while. So I just have one more question for you, Eric, and it's hard to narrow it down. But you know, in your last two mailbags, you had a couple of little nuggets just about your thoughts on some of the Canadian teams. Um, we do have a rivalry with Sean John Tilly and Craig Custance on the American show. So we're going to talk about Canada here for a second. Um, in one answer, you said that you believe that Edmonton was not a championship squad. In another, you said that the Jets were the top team in Canada. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, why is Edmonton not a Stanley Cup winning team yet? Mm-hmm. And what makes the Jets better than the Oilers and the Leafs specifically, since I'm sure that's what uh, a lot of people want to know. Why are the Leafs not the top team in Canada? Yeah, well, I think Winnipeg has the best one to to 19 depth in the NHL, because if I if there's a question mark for me in Winnipeg, it's, you know, how will Eric Comrie be as a backup goaltender to Connor Hellebuck and assuming even, even assuming that Connor Hellebuck plays three quarters of the games this year you know they I think they do have a little bit of uncertainty at the backup goalie position but they have a, a former Vezina Trophy as the winner as as the starter so I think that they feel fine there no I, I think that you know they understand in Winnipeg that uh, it's one of the best run franchises in the National Hockey League and that you only get a, a finite number of years within that window to compete for a Stanley Cup and so the moves that they made this year were specifically made to address personnel issues and and I think you're going to see a, a sort of a, a shift almost in the, in the way they play because they brought in two extremely experienced quality versatile 
deep defensemen in, in uh, Nate Schmidt and, and Brendan Dillon that will that, that solidify the one part of the team that wasn't very good. I mean, they have their one to six forwards are fantastic. They can put two terrific scoring lines out there. Um, I think Dubois is going to have a, a, an excellent bounce back year. He's just too good a player to play at the level that he played at last year. Um, no one has a better third line in the game now that Tampa's had to, to dismantle their third line than you know, then then Cobb, Lowry, and whoever ends up uh, filling the Mason Appleton role there. So I, I don't see a lot of uh, I don't see a lot of weakness there, um, or question marks. I guess is a better way of, of putting it. So Edmonton, I mean, I, I'm bullish on Edmonton. I think uh, also in my mailbag, I predicted that they would win the division ahead of Vegas. I think upset some people, but I, I think they're on their way. I just don't think they're there yet. I think they're a, a year away, and I think that some of some of the, the, I want to see. Evan Bouchard in, in the lineup. I want to see him as a contributing member of that team. I think that they need a little bit more of that, that those that the young players that they have in, in the pipeline need to, to not just get to the NHL, but that they're going to need some time to be contributors at, at the NHL level. So, so they're, 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 they're closing in. Uh, I think they're going to have a better regular season, but, you know, to win a championship, you have to win four playoff rounds. And I'm not sure that they necessarily are, are built to do that. And, you know, as much as I like Mike Smith as, as, as a goaltender, um, you know, I think it's reasonable to ask, you know, will their goaltending hold up for the full season? So, you know, and Toronto, I mean, they're, they're a fun team to watch. Um, I think that at one point, you know, they've, you know, honestly, I think they've had a lot of bad luck when it comes to playoffs. I think a lot of people are questioning the character of some of those Players, I, I disagree. I, I look at the way Marner plays, the way Matthew plays, the way Tavares plays, the way Neona, but these guys care. They care and they're fun to watch. But, you know, the model that Toronto is employing, and I'm not saying anything that, that you don't already know, is, is it's difficult to win when you've got so much high-end talent earning as much money as they are. If, if all those $11 million guys were making $9 million, it would, it would just give so much more flexibility to Kyle Dubas to supplement what they're doing with with you know lesser players in the lineup. And having said that, you know, if Andre Kasha can stay healthy, he's he's a terrific talent. And and Nick Ritchie will give them a little bit of a physical presence lower down in, in the lineup. So I, I like their team too. I actually I'm quite bullish on on uh, the teams in Canada. I think that you know you can make a case for every single one of them to be a, a little bit better than 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 they were a year ago. I like Vancouver. I like you know once they get everybody on the on the ice, I think they're fine. Haley, you and I have talked about about Calgary. I think that they that there's a certain Islander dynamic going on there in terms of what they are trying to do with Daryl Sutter as the coach, similar to what Barry Trotz is doing there. And uh, you know, in, in Montreal, I mean, that, that they have a lot to live up to. Obviously, by getting the Stanley Cup final last year, can't imagine they're going to get lightning in a bottle twice. But but they have good pieces too. So I, I think I. I I don't think that this is one of those years where in eight months time, we're going to be writing stories that all begin with the woe is Canada uh, headline. I, I think this is a year where, where uh, the Canadian teams are going to show well and do well. Well, listen, Eric, this was uh, this was a ton of fun uh, having you drop by the podcast. And uh, I and I was serious. I think next season, we'll get to the off season and things are a little bit more quiet. And we have more time for kind of just these, these sort of fun trips down memory lane and, and feature stuff. We would love to have you back for just some some great storytelling because I, I do think there's so much value 
in storytelling, journalism, and the way that it was, and some of the lessons that I think we've forgotten because of technology that I think sometimes uh, we need a refresher on. And they're, they're just great stories uh, for, for people to you know open up a beer and listen to. So listen, thanks for doing this. We're looking forward to all your uh, uh, coverage around this hockey season, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, thank you. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, that was a really fun conversation that we had with Eric Dehachik. And I just want to point out one thing, Haley. As he says, as Eric says, you know, I'm, I'm bullish on all the teams in Canada. And then he goes through them all. What's the one team he left out? Uh, Ottawa. Anyway. No, he said they're gonna, all going to be better. No, he, he went bullish through every on the team sense. and he didn't mention Ottawa. No, he was he he thinks all the teams in Canada are going to be better than last year. But he's bullish on all of them except for the Senators. Exactly. That, yeah. that should be the headline for this. We'll put that out. The, the Eric Tahashik hates the Sens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. It is a little multiple choice madness to wrap up the Monday podcast because we like to do this. we got a couple of questions here. Hey, we were talking earlier with Eric about Zdeno Charles going back to the Islanders. Haley, I'm going to uh, toss out some names here. Okay. Who, which of these NHL veterans would you like to see return to their original team for one season before they call it quits? Is it A, maybe you'd like to see Joe Thornton go back to Boston. B, Jason Spezza going back to Ottawa. C, Ryan Suter back to the Music City, back to Nashville. Or D, some people forget about this, but Brent Burns back to Minnesota. Haley, and, and you can also go off the board. Maybe you want to see Phil Kessel back in Boston. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking. Who would you like to see go back and kind of pull a Zidane Chara where you surprise everybody and you land back with your original team? Um, yeah, this is a tough one for me because <clears throat> I feel like the best way to answer this is to go with the player who would probably have like the best emotional attachment to a market or team or city, whatever that may be. And I don't know if it is the Canadian bias. Maybe it's because I've read your stories about it, but my, and because I worked in Ottawa, but my gut reaction is Jason Spezza in Ottawa. Um, I know for you, you got yourself into hot water last Playoffs because you said, like, I would like to see Jason Spezza win a Stanley Cup because I know that guy from Ottawa. He's a great dude, great player, et cetera, et cetera. 
people got very mad at you because you said that with the Leafs, but I don't know. I think that there is that feeling with, with fans about Jason Spezza. Um, I don't know if I'm way off here, but I think that could be something that would, um, you know, be potentially really special for the fan base and, and Spezza himself. Yeah. Uh, you know what? And, and it would be, but I, I would love to see Joe Thornton back in Boston. I really would. And I think like you go back and think about that trade and how unbelievable it was. He goes to San Jose basically for nothing. And one of the, the, it's a hall of fame career, but most of it is spent in San Jose. I, Mm I like, I think there's a lot of people that don't even remember Joe Thornton's time in, in Boston because it was really free lockout of 0506 for the most part. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see him go back. It would be really cool to see his, I, I love the Chara thing. I love Chara going back to Long Island. Cause I think Very in cool. the same way that once Zidano left, it's when he really kind of elevated into like a hall of fame defenseman. Mm-hmm. I think for Thornton, he was a really good player, but then he elevated into kind of a hall of fame player in San Jose. So I always think to myself, that would be, uh, that would be super fun. Okay. Next question. Haley, multiple choice badness. If you uh, opened up the print edition of The Athletic uh, today on your, your smartphone or your tablet, computer, uh, you would have seen our, our, our pal Scott Wheeler has put out his list for the top 20 uh, candidates for the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. So, Haley, I'm going to ask you this. Based on uh, Wheeler's col- uh, column today, if you had to pick right now, who's going to win the Calder Trophy as the league's top rookie? Is it A, Cole Caulfield, of the Montreal Canadiens, B, Trevor Zegris of the Anaheim Ducks, C, Spencer Knight, the fantastic young goalie with Florida, D, Quinton Byfield uh, with the LA Kings, or E, you can go with somebody else that uh, Wheeler mentioned. Haley, who's got, uh, who do you have your eye on for potentially for the Calder Trophy? I mean, I feel like it, for me right now, it, it's it's Cole Caulfield. And because, you know, we have this bigger sample size of what he looks like in the NHL. And it's a sample size that would typically preclude him from actually being able to be in the Calder race. Cause he played 30 NHL games last year, but most of them were in the playoffs. So we only had like nine or 10 regular season games. So he's still technically eligible for the Calder. And we saw like when the game gets harder and faster, it's not easy to play in the playoffs and all the way to the Stanley cup final, we saw this, this kid, you know, once he started shooting the puck and making plays, like he was among the Canadians' top forwards. And, and, you know, he hasn't even had a full NHL season under his belt. He could be a candidate for somebody who disappoints next season to play devil's advocate here for sure, especially what we saw in the playoffs. But from what we saw in that pretty big sample size from Cole Caulfield leads me to believe that this this guy will probably win the Calder next year if he can recreate – some of the plays and the goal scoring um, that we saw in the playoffs from him with the Canadians. Haley, I'm going to have to ask you to return your Florida Panthers uh, bandwagon uh, <laughs> fan card that you and I printed. And I thought we had laminated because how are you not taking <clears throat> Spencer Knight here? It's our team, the Panthers. And they have, not only do they have playoff aspirations, I think they got Stanley cup aspirations. And remember last year when the Florida Panthers were in a, uh, kind of win or go home situation. Who they turned to wasn't Bobrovsky, wasn't Drieger. It was Spencer Knight. And I have a feeling if Sergei Bobrovsky gets off to a slow start or a flat start, this kid is going to be waiting in the wings. And I think, like, if that happens, he's got the potential to win twenty five or thirty games. And 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 playing behind uh, 
you know, one of the best, if Aaron Eckblad comes back and he's healthy, like that's one of the mm-hmm. best teams in the Eastern Conference and maybe the NHL. And he's going to be in a great position to be a number one goalie. So I'm taking Spencer Knight, Haley. And I'm going to ask you to return your Florida Panthers bandwagon card, please. Well, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> I won't be doing that. I'm still on the bandwagon. <laughs> okay. But you're on thin ice. All right. Last mm-hmm. question in multiple choice madness here. Okay. Who's going to be the most interesting or fascinating original six team to watch this season? And not surprisingly, there's six options for you. Is it A, Chicago, B, Boston, C, the New York Rangers, D, Toronto, E, Montreal, or F, the Detroit Red Wings, Haley? What's what? Which of these original six teams, and I think all of them have some really interesting storylines and, and, mm-hmm. and where they could end up. Who's the one team you're like, wow, I can't wait to see what happens with them this year? Yeah, I think you could go down the list and and I could probably convince myself of each one. Like I'm personally really interested to see um, you know, what Detroit does, especially if they can have some of their young up and coming players crack the lineup this year. Um, I'm big into prospects. So I, I'm always interested in the Detroit Red Wings. I think Montreal has a good case, um, you know, Boston, et cetera. But I feel like I want to go with the Rangers. Um, you know, they have Panarin who we already discussed and, you know, the conversation around him turning down the sea. So there's that storyline of who's going to be the captain of the Rangers, but you've got Mika Zibanejad, you've got Adam Fox. Um, I, I just think you go down the list, Alexi Lafreniere, is he going to take a step? You know, I think there was a point in time where he was, you know, a little underwhelming for fans after all the fanfare around him. You've got Capo Caco, Andre Miller, Jacob Truba, like you go down the list and there's, there's good players. There's interesting players. There's storylines with the New York Rangers and obviously everything that happened with coach and ownership. And there was a a lot that happened with the New York Rangers last season. Um, So I I think that's a team where I look at everything that happened last year and I look at the players that they have in place, um, a, a new coach, et cetera. And I just think, you know, what is, what is this season going to look like for the Rangers? How do they respond to everything that happened? Do they take the next step? And what does this team actually look like? So I've, I've got to go with, with the Rangers on this one. Yeah. I, I, you know, what's funny is I, I look at this list and I think the, the, the only team that I'm not interested in is Toronto because I feel <laughs> like I can't learn anything about the Leafs until the Stanley cup playoffs. Like they, they could, no matter what they do, we can't really judge this team until uh, April, May, and June of next yeah. year, right? So I, I'm not, I don't find them interesting, but I do find Chicago interesting, and I, and I, I think if you look at Chicago and think that they added the reigning Vesna Trophy winner in Mark Andre Fleury, and they're adding their captain back, Jonathan Taves, who you know has missed the last season, and I thought Mark Lazarus did a great job in kind of uh, chronicling his. Um, uh, his kind of last eight to 10 months. And and I, I think we're going to see a new Jonathan Taves uh, coming back. Uh, they added a top six forward. Now, whether you think he's overpaid or not, but Tyler Johnson, I think could be pretty effective there. Uh, Seth Jones comes into the mix. Like, like if you're talking about teams that underwent the biggest sort of facelifts in the off season, Chicago's near the top of the list. And, and you have Patrick Kane, who's kind of always on the surface as a, a art Ross slash heart trophy nominee. I think if they all stay healthy, Haley, I think not only could they be a, a playoff team, but if everything goes right for Chicago, you could talk me into them being back into the contender conversation. A bunch of things have to happen for that to occur, but I think they're really interesting. Like, I think that they could go one of two ways. They could be 
past their prime and Kane and Taves and some of those guys have, you know, hit the wrong side of 30 and maybe they start to regress or they've been surrounded with some good talent in Tyler Johnson and Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury. And then you get the kids like Kirby Doc and uh, Debrinkat coming in and maybe, maybe it all lines up. I'm really fascinated with what happens with Chicago. That is a spicy hot take for your Monday morning. Yeah. Monday afternoon once this comes out, but I'm awake now. There we go. It's a spicy Good. day. All right. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. I, I, maybe at some point we need to to uh, collaborate on a uh, Kachuk Brothers story, you know? Why haven't we done that the, yet? What are we yeah. doing? I don't know. Slacking. Dropping the ball. But listen, yeah. uh, this was a lot of fun. What does the uh, the week look like for you? I, I know the uh, teams are opening up training camps on Wednesday, mm. or at least with physical. So what does the, uh, the week look like for you as uh, as NHL training camps kick off here again? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Just, you know, I'm, this might surprise you, but I'm a very type A person. So I have like a color coordinated calendar for myself. And I was looking at it. For the week, and we've got, you know, the the final rookie game, the final prospect game against Edmonton today, uh, and then, you know, main camp's on Wednesday, and then the first preseason game is on Saturday. So this week, we've kind of got, like, prospect stuff, development stuff. We've got the opening of main camp, and we've got preseason hockey already here in Calgary. So this week, I think, is going to be – it's going to get pretty crazy and into it pretty quickly, so – uh, it's nice to like start my week with this. We talk about league wide stuff before everything just kind of goes a little bit nutty. So I'll just be at the rink and it's actually really, um, that's a fun thing to say yeah. to just go back to the rink and find a little bit of normalcy. I-, I said to you, um, before we started, you know, this is my second season here in Calgary and, but I haven't actually been here for like nine months yet. I, I moved here last January and this is already my second hockey season with the Flames, and I haven't even been here a year. So it's it's been a weird time, and I'm just looking forward to starting, you know, season two with, you know, a little bit of a return to, to normal times. Not fully back yet, but it's nice to just say going back to the rank for a regular-ish hockey season um, to cover the Flames again. So yeah, it, it's going to – I'm going to get really tired really quickly soon, I no. think, though. Okay. Well, the I, color I, coordinated calendar will help. You need to tweet out your color coordinated calendar so we get an I idea won't. of what. Uh, I don't need people to judge me any more than they already do from the stupid stuff I post yeah. on my Twitter account. Haley, four thirty <laughs> Tuesday, uh, uh, cancel landline. Uh, that, that should be in there. All right, hey, listen, we're gonna have to leave it there. Uh, we had a lot of fun with Eric Dahachik as well, and um, thanks everybody for uh, hanging out with us here for the last hour or so for this uh, latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite po- podcast platform. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You know we appreciate that. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all the bonus content that we produce across our entire platform. Start with a 30 day free trial. Then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And uh, Haley was talking about starting uh, coverage of the Flames camp i've got ottawa stuff and guess what the beat writers from around the national hockey league are about to inundate your feed with coverage from uh, all of the teams around the national hockey league so it's a great time to jump in on this because annual subscriptions to the athletic right now are 50 off when you visit the athletic.com slash
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.